Far, far away, there is a ghost world, a world not much like ours, filled with strange creatures, floating boulders, ancient castles and ghosts. But sometimes at night, at ghost hour, some of them want to visit us. The Ghost of the Silmarons K.S. Ghost World Book 1 Chapter 1 Black Forest, Germany, March 1962 Mauro came in contact with the ghost world when he was just 15 years old. It all started when his grandfather Louis sent him up to an attic of an old shack to look for forgotten tools. Every tool they found they would take with them. When I say they, I'm referring to the boys of the Clam family, which included Mauro's cousins Toby, Sippy and Leo, his Italian grandfather from his mother's side and of course, the only child, Mauro. In the 60s, these kind of jobs were common. Little house clearances and demolition work were a necessary way to make some extra money for the family. The two old houses and the shack, which had not been occupied for almost a year, were situated in the Black Forest, around 40 kilometers away from the hometown Hirsau, close to Stuttgart. The family of the deceased woman had finally decided that it was time to clear out everything. Despite searching for a while, the slim and tall boy hadn't found any tools under the roof, but as Mauro crawled around through some narrow areas in the back of the shed, while tossing aside handfuls of hay, something shiny caught his eye. As the boy picked up the sparkling thing, he realized it was a silver, finely crafted and nicely ornamented pocket watch. As he pushed the button on the top, the cover of the watch snapped open and revealed the watch face. Well, that's what the boy thought he would find, but there was in fact no watch face and no dials to be seen, only a smooth, whitish, wax-like surface. Stunned, he shook his head. In the meantime, Mauro's grandfather was getting impatient and shouting at him, starting to get on the boy's nerves. Mauro, hurry, where are you? So the boy quickly put the thing in his pocket and climbed down. No tools, he said bleakly to his perpetually grumpy grandfather and kept the watch for himself. Other than that, the clearance of the houses went without any problems or peculiarities. Just the moment when he found the watch, he would remember for the rest of his life. In the beginning, it was not like the watch was something special for the kid. Honestly, he just thought he could sell the thing for the material. He guessed it was silver, but because there was no real clock inside, he figured it was useless anyway. It was only on Sunday, the day when the boy would usually wash his work pants in the basement, that he finally took it out of his pocket and brought it to his room. He tossed it without much thought onto his desk and starting that night, a ghost started visiting. The first time Mauro became aware of the ghost was the night the cats started fighting. You know when two stray cats meet at night and start hissing at each other, sounding like little demons, screaming and howling in rage? Well, just as the fight broke out in front of the boys' window and the cats started ripping each other apart, Mauro woke up and saw a figure sitting on a chair in front of him. Not a real figure, just a somewhat transparent outline made only out of white fog, with two big slightly glowing eyeballs providing enough light to give counters to its face. Not too much, however, just enough that he could tell it was a skinny, human face. The figure sat at the table wearing a cowl 
and the ghostly fog that was being emitted got thinner the closer to the ground the fog drifted. It looked like the ghost was contemplating something, and a distinct sadness was radiating from him. His elbow was propped up on the table and his head was tilted looking at something, much like Rodin's famous Thinker statue sitting on a rock. At the time Mauro didn't make the connection that the figure was looking right at the pocket watch and the word ghost most definitely didn't come to his mind at all. Suddenly in the blink of an eye the ghost was gone and the boy turned around half asleep to face the window, trying to figure out where all the noise was coming from. To him, this brief encounter was just an episode of reality and the dream world merging together, trying to trick him into seeing something that was not there. Eventually, as he cursed at the cats, his head fell back onto his pillow and he almost forgot about the whole thing. A few more weeks passed before the boy decided to bring the watch to a jeweler. But before doing so, Mauro wanted to check out to see whether the watch was made out of real silver. Before bedtime, he opened it again and tried to see if there was some kind of inscription indicating the material, but there was nothing. The ornamentation on the cover was, however, quite nice, the boy found. There were many semicircles woven into each other, and in the middle was a hole in the shape of a moon. But what still puzzled him was the mostly smooth wax on the inside. Why would someone pour wax inside a pocket watch, he thought. He took his thumb and jammed his nail into it, breaking the surface and leaving a deep imprint. Yep, that's wax, he concluded, weird. Eventually Mauro put the watch back on the table and got ready for bed. As the boy woke up in the middle of the night and turned in his bed, however, his glance shifted to something glowing on the table across the room. Wow, what is that? He got out of bed and moved closer to it. The closer he got, the slower the kid moved, as not to chase it away. Almost in disbelief, he looked at the open watch, which was revealing a watch face made out of fog, floating about two centimeters above the white, waxy surface. As he moved his head closer and closer, he could see how the slightly glowing wax was emitting the ghost fog. The further up the ghost fog rose, the more symbols started dancing and the bigger everything got. Most symbols were floating upwards almost to the ceiling, getting thinner, until they disappeared, but some of them just stayed in the same place. Mauro could see the dials that were erratically moving backwards and forwards, locking in on a time and a date, and then switching again. Man, that's a ghost watch, Mauro whispered to himself. Suddenly, there was a very deep voice that responded, speaking softly like the wind. It's not just a watch, child. It is a lot more. Unfortunately, as Mauro turned around in shock, the ghost had vanished once again, and only the finest hint of white ghostly fog was still floating but quickly dissolving. Hello? Hello? Mauro respectfully said to the creature trying to gain his attention. After trying for a few minutes, however, he gave up. There was no reply that night, and so the boy turned back to the ghost watch and continued to spend the better part of the night just watching it in bed. The ghost watch instantly became Mauro's most prized possession. The next day he took it with him everywhere he went. Mauro sometimes just watched it in amazement knowing that he had something special that no one else had. That's when he saw that the wax was smooth again. That surprised the boy 
Just last night he had jammed his nail into the wax and it had made a deep imprint. So the boy assumed that the wax must have changed its consistency at night while emitting the ghost fog, and Mauro figured that this was something he could test out. The ghost, however, did not appear for a few more days. In the meantime, however, Mauro had already figured out a couple of things by himself. Firstly, the watch never just opened by itself at night and started working. It only worked when he opened the cover. This activated the watch and the wax could then start glowing slightly, causing the ghost fog to be emitted, which then produced the ghost dials, watch face and the symbols. Mauro also found that the well-known term ghost hour was not very accurate. Most days the ghost watch started up at 12 pm even close to 1 am, however ghost hour lasted way longer than just one hour. He found it actually lasted until sunrise and even a few minutes into the day. That's when the ghost fog of the watch slowly began to fade away and disappear, and the wax stopped glowing. The next thing that he noticed was the connection to the moon. The fuller the moon, the more symbols that appeared. It's like the watch had a lot more to say, a lot more to communicate during a full moon. A few weeks had passed since the ghost incident and Mauro decided he wanted to test the consistency of the wax one night. He had gotten a spoon from the kitchen and was ready to poke at the wax, or even scoop a teaspoonful of wax out of it at ghost hour. But first he carefully went through the ghost fog with his fingers. This he had done often already and it was a weird sensation. The ghost fog was definitely thicker than real fog, unlike normal fog where you just go through it and the particles simply move without resistance in any direction. Mauro could feel or sense that he was ripping something apart that wanted to stay together. The ghost fog was different, it moved around his fingers but it didn't want to and so, as soon as the boy stopped bothering it, it would quickly move back to the same position it was previously in. Also Mauro felt it was somehow wrong to play with the ghost fog. He felt that the ghost fog was kind of alive, had a soul and demanded some respect. He did however already have the spoon ready for the experiment and wanted to go ahead, but he hesitated. Every time he got closer to the watch with the spoon, the more nervous he got. His heart was beating faster and he noticed his hand started shaking. Of course the boy didn't want to damage his precious ghost watch. Should I do it? Mauro whispered to himself. And suddenly a deep voice answered, No, you should not, child. In the middle of the room was the ghost floating again and watching Mauro closely, having contemplated for the last few minutes whether to interrupt. You might break my moon dial. Were the calm words coming from the creature. The words in a sense were flowing over to the boy, reverberating inside the room, but still not quite like an echo. The deep, deep sound was unearthly and strong and Mauro felt the respect the ghost demanded from him. Okay, uh, I won't then. Sorry, he answered nervously, like a child caught doing something naughty. Good, the ghost replied and took the lead in the conversation. This is my dial, and I beg you to be careful with it. Mauro nodded and looked back at it, appreciating it even more. It is called Moondial? What does it do? Mauro was about to ask, but the ghost interrupted him after the first sentence and said with the authority an adult has over a child. I have been watching you, boy.
The ghost looked Mauro straight in the eyes for a few seconds. His unblinking, piercing, white eyeballs became almost hypnotic for Mauro, and so the boy broke eye contact while shivers ran down his spine. So far this whole situation with the ghost watch had been fairly exciting for him, but now he was feeling scared. Fortunately, the ancient ghost noticed the fear creeping in and immediately turned away from the boy to give him some space. The last thing the ghost wanted at that moment was to scare the kid. So he floated through the window with his hands behind his back, started looking outside for quite some time and Mauro's stress level slowly started to decrease. Then the ghost added, breaking the silence, You have been very curious about my moondial, haven't you? The ghost asked a rhetorical question and in his mind Mauro answered, yes. But then the ghost finished by saying something Mauro didn't expect. I'm afraid I need your help, boy. Chapter 2 A few weeks later Mauro looked out of the window and became worried. The last rays of sunlight were making their way into his room, painting it orange-red, the colors of danger. A few dark clouds were on the horizon, being pushed by strong winds and moving quickly ahead. The night would come fast and the kid was still feeling unsure. Was he going to do it? As the ghost had asked Mauro to help him, he had hesitatingly agreed. Mauro had felt pushed into a corner and agreed in the spur of the moment. The ghost knew this, however, so he made sure that he didn't overstay his welcome. He had told Mauro that he was bound to the moondial and that he always had to be within a certain radius of it no matter where it was. The ghost had explained further that he needed to see the symbols when the moondial was activated to complete his mission, but what mission he didn't mention. More importantly, however, that night the ghost made Mauro a proposal that would allow him to visit the moondial in a respectful manner. A simple rule. If Mauro had the moondial open, it was okay for the ghost to enter the room. But if it was closed, the ghost was not welcome and had to stay away, not just from Mauro's room, but also from the house. That way Mauro felt he had enough space for himself and the ghost had also enough time to look at the ghost watch. The boy had agreed on this and the ghost had kept his word. Many weeks had passed however since then and the ghost wanted to move ahead with his mission and with the thing he needed the boys' help with. So after a few brief positive conversation at night, the two agreed on tonight for the mission. Still undecided, Mauro had a few more hours to choose if he really wanted to help him. In fact, he was scared. It felt like taking a step into the unknown, but not being ready for it. He knew ghost hour would begin before 1am, so he had to leave right at midnight in order to make it by bike to the lake, where the mission was supposed to take place. That was late enough that his parents wouldn't notice him leaving and early enough that he could make it there in time for ghost hour. Mauro decided, however, to take not only the moon dial with him, but maybe a knife or an axe. Finally, the clock struck midnight and Mauro put on his backpack. A part of him was still convinced it was a mistake, that it was crazy and even as an old man he would look back and think, respect kid, but still you were crazy. When he passed his parents' bedroom, thoughts of guilt and doubt were pounding his brain with every step. Dad is going to kill you if he finds out. The ghost is going to kill you anyway. But with the spirit of a young man, he decided to just challenge the gods and to walk out of the house. Was it dangerous? Maybe. Probably. However, once Mauro was out the door and on his bike though, a new world opened up to him. 
A sense of freedom only young people can experience fully overcame him. At that moment he realized that nobody knew where he was, for the very first time in his life. Nobody knew what he was doing and nobody could stop him. And this ironically stayed with him all throughout his life. It became something he chased from then on and it influenced many decisions he made in the future. Make your own rules, walk out the door, don't tell anyone, be free and experience something crazy. There was only one catch though, it had to work out fine. This night, in retrospect, determined whether he would become an adventurer or an ordinary Joe and all of this depended on one thing, everything working out fine. The clouds were darkening the night sky and the moonlight were having a hard time peeking through the clouds when he reached a path into the forest, close to his house. Mauro was riding his bike through the darkness of the forest and now things started getting scary. The wind picked up significantly and the trees were swaying like crazy, creating some deafening noise. At times the path became pitch black and the boy found himself constantly bumping into bushes and hitting tree branches. Finally he reached a clearance and the lake became visible. The moon did its best to provide some light and the tree lines on both sides of the lake close to the shore were slightly visible. The lake was shaped like a worm stretching out into an S shape and the end of it, the head of the worm, was not visible because of the trees. As the boy got to the shore, he could make out their old fort to the left. He and his friends had built it out of dead wood and old planks a few summers back when they were children and it had been sitting there rotting ever since. It was square in shape and the flat roof was a little more than a meter high, making it as spacious as a four-man tent. If anything goes wrong tonight, he thought, he could hide in there with his axe and his knife in hand and wait until the morning. So Mauro decided to check it out, parked his bike right next to it, put his backpack with his weapons inside and began wandering to the shore. Okay, just stop thinking about what could go wrong, Mauro, he told himself. The ghost had said, as soon as ghost hour started, he would appear close by, but not too close, maybe a few hundred meters away. Then the ghost first had to find Mauro. That's the life of a ghost. You're always wandering around, searching for something, but you can't quite find it. And so you come back every night, or at least most nights. The ghost had said that every ghost is bound to an object, and he is bound to the moon dial. So wherever it goes, he goes and he can't leave the fairly small radius of a couple of hundred meters. Also he had told Mauro to open the moon dial since this would make it easier for him to sense it and to find where it was. So that's what Mauro did next. He popped open the cover and waited in front of the lake. Finally the wax started slowly glowing and ghost fog started building up. Right on cue the clouds disappeared, the wind stopped and the full red moon became visible, exactly in the middle of the lake. Suddenly everything seemed like it was meant to be. The ghost appeared shortly after from the water, directly underneath the blood moon and not as the boy had assumed from the dark forest. Everything seemed so perfectly orchestrated. He floated over the water to Mauro with some relief that the boy really had shown up at the lake. The ghost however didn't set foot on land, not that he really could anyway, but stayed floating over the water. After a brief comment of I'm glad that you're doing this, boy. Mauro felt his gratitude. For some reason he hesitated in answering, but instead felt it was the right thing to say. My name is Mauro, short for Maurizio. So he finally introduced himself properly. 
The ghost, on the other hand, was startled a bit and Mauro thought he saw a smile. Well, it's hard to tell with ghosts with their fogged up faces, but then the ghost replied in an appreciative tone. My name is Dom, short for Dominikos. The moondial hadn't been calibrated and used for over 150 years, Dom explained to the boy, and the mission tonight was to calibrate it. He said it would take a few hours, so Mauro had to be patient. After that the magic started. Dom asked Mauro to put down the moondial right in front of the water, just centimeters away from it. Then he told him to carefully dip two fingers into the fog emitting wax of the moondial, but that he should just use his fingertips. After that the boy had to dip his fingers into the lake. As soon as his fingertips touched the water surface, the remaining wax on his fingers spread out slowly like veins in a semicircle over the lake, moving about 40 or 50 meters into the middle of the lake. Shortly after that the veins got bigger and bigger and also started emitting some ghost fog. After that they bled more, smaller veins appeared to the left and right and soon the ghost wax covered the whole surface of the lake, making the water whitish. The initial veins were, however, still way more pronounced and were pulsating faster and faster, full of life. Mauro's jaw dropped, whereas Dom turned around and floated towards the middle of the semicircle made of fog, reaching from the shore to the middle of the lake. The magic was but far from over. Dom bowed down in respect and the landscape started forming right in front of him, out of the consistently rising ghost fog that was being emitted. Hills formed, many many meters high, ghost trees formed, bigger than real trees. Large boulders formed, lying on ghost grass, all of this right in front of Dom. Then from Mauro's vantage point, the Earth's red moon merged with the scenery. Wow, Mauro exclaimed often. For the boy it looked like even the blood moon belonged to the ghost world somehow and it was a part of their world like it was a part of ours. Then the boy looked at the moon dial at his feet and saw symbols starting to appear and words of an ancient language. The dials on the other hand were moving violently clockwise for a few seconds, then counterclockwise and again in reverse. Then star maps appeared. They got bigger and bigger and kept floating directly into the ghost world scene where Dom was standing. Not just that, more star maps appeared and created a gigantic half dome in which Mauro and Dom stood. The moon dial seamlessly mapped the current star's location on Earth and mirrored them accurately in the ghost scene. That was the calibration part that Dom was talking about. The created half dome got bigger and bigger, fuller and fuller, brighter and brighter and even more stars were synchronized by the second. Everything happened directly over the boy's head. As he gazed upwards, soon he couldn't tell which stars in the sky belonged to Earth and which were from the ghost world. His wonder never faded and even as an old man he almost tears up with joy as he remembers it. This was the first glimpse into the ghost world and it was magnificent. Then whitish glowing eyeballs started appearing everywhere in the ghost scene, but only in front of Dom, still leaving a boundary between the ghost world and the earth. Then Dom started waving, many ghosts appeared and it looked like it was a reunion for him. This lasted for hours and the landscape and scenery changed a lot. Also fairly grotesque creatures appeared and disappeared into the unknown. The boys saw floating boulders spinning around slowly, revealing faces and making grimaces. The scenery changed time after time and Dom continued to catch up with strange beings who all seemed to be happy to see him, 
but they were only in front of him. He was never part of the group. Yet everyone told him stories, yelling over an invisible boundary between them, probably about the past 150 years. Many of them pointed at the stars and in the direction of a castle, very far in the distance, towering up on a high mountain. It seemed important to all of the creatures and it was in every scene that Mauro witnessed. It was shown from a different perspective multiple times and the Moondale seemed to regard it as the zero point of the ghost world. It seemed to be the center of everything and everything else was moving around it. At last Mauro heard the name he would remember his whole life, portraying the evil of the ghost world and the real world. Il Traditore. Il Traditore. Il Traditore. The Traitor. Eventually the scenery changed one last time. Dom waved goodbye to his friends as the ghost dials spun around and different star systems lit up once again directly over their heads. In front of them eerie giant stone statues started to appear, grotesque in nature, disfigured and like models of an artist's expression of desperation. Finally Dom floated back towards the boy. It looked like he didn't want to be close to this scenery in particular. Together they gazed in silence out to the lake to the last landscape forming until Dom turned towards the boy and said This is where all the ghosts come to, to enter your world, Mauro. Shortly after that, Mauro saw a long line of ghosts marching in queue through the forest of giant stone statues and they disappeared into thin air one by one, like slaves moving slowly, desperately longing to get back to earth to find something they had lost a long time ago. Ghosts come back to earth because they have to, not because they want to. Dom said to the boy and so Mauro got initiated that night into some of the knowledge about the ghost world. Chapter 3 In the months that followed, Dom studied the cryptic messages he got from the Moondal carefully. The two still had the agreement that Dom could enter Mauro's room when the Moondal was open Otherwise, he was not allowed to be inside the house at all. He had given his word and he had kept it the whole time. However, Dom still needed help, a lot more help, but Mauro didn't know that. Mauro was, after all, just a kid and had no business getting involved in dangerous things such as messing with ghosts, messing with curses and for sure not messing with Il Traditore. And Dom knew that. Over the time though, the two had more and more positive conversations about ghosts and the ghost world and after watching the calibration of the Munda, Mauro's fascination had grown immensely. In fact, after seeing the magic the Mundal had produced, he couldn't get enough of it and looked forward to talking to Dom almost every night. So he left the Mundal open most nights for the ghost to check it out. For Mauro the whole situation was exciting and he looked at the ghost as a new, curious friend like young people usually do. He looked at it very innocently and for sure from an adult's perspective quite naively. On the other hand, Dom was not an adult either. He was ancient and he for sure deserved a more sophisticated view of him. As a ghost he had already been living for centuries. He had seen many people come and go and his mission as the guide for an ancient group called the Silmarons would always be his only concern and the boy was just a brief, possibly a very brief episode in the search for what he really needed, something his mission relied on, something he had worked with many times in history. 
the search for the next Silmaron. As fate had it though, one night the ghost saw an opportunity to at least safely test Mauro as a potential candidate. Since Mauro had demonstrated an unusually keen interest in the subject and had shown no real sign of fear, Dom decided to test the waters with him, because he knew just too well that time passes quickly and Mauro would soon grow up. Mauro, are you awake? Dom asked rhetorically, waking the boy up. It was almost morning and usually he left the kid alone and waited until ghost hour had ended and then just disappeared. This time, however, he was excited to show Mauro something and pointed at the moondial. Mauro, do you see that? Dom's skinny, almost skeleton-like finger pointed at the symbol hovering above the moondial that was getting increasingly bigger. The two dials were both pointed at 12 o'clock, which was unusual to see and there was a weirdly written alpha symbol with a few more squiggles attached to it. It continued to go up and then eventually floated to the right side of the ghost watch, way over the usual boundary. With an eerie voice, like the wind whispering words, the ghost said, Somebody died not far from here. Just follow the sign. It will lead you directly to her. A shiver ran down the boy's spine. Dom floated towards the window to follow the ghost sign. However, it dissolved briefly after it went through the glass. Hmm, I think it's the house over there. Dom said quietly but with certainty. Somebody died? The boy asked, unsure of how to react. Yes, boy. But she doesn't know it yet. She's a ghost now. What? Dom really got the kid's attention now and Mauro's curiosity rose. How? I mean, why doesn't she know it? The boy asked a seemingly naive question. I don't know Mauro. Dom said and waited a while before he continued and then turned around to look at the boy with his piercing eyes and said, But do you want to find out? No. No. No, no, no. Well, maybe. I don't know. Do I? The woman who died was Mrs. Hauser, a nice old lady and a close friend to the Klum family. Her house was indeed the one all the way to the left when you look out Mauro's window. Mauro had known her since he was a small child and the news came as quite a shock to his parents. Although Mauro already knew of her death, it was still surprising to him that Dom was indeed right. It really hit him that this really happened and that she really passed away. Well, kind of. The question for him he was pondering over the next few days were simple. Do I want to find out more about it? Do I want to get involved in it? This was a big step and the boy knew that. In the end he listened to his gut and decided that he was not willing to get involved in it and declined Dom's suggestion. He was however still curious and he very sneakily tried to find out more about what happened to her from those still living, more precisely his parents and neighbors. In the following days Mauro's inquisitive behavior was becoming noticeably odd to his parents, but in any case the boy managed to find out that Mrs. Hauser's daughter found her lying next to the staircase on the first floor. She had broken the mirror probably by tumbling backwards into it and there was broken glass all around her. This the boy thought might be interesting to Dom too. 
What Mauro really couldn't get his head around was that Mrs. Hauser was really a ghost now. He just couldn't believe that she was wandering around in her house at night. This thought made dying and ghosts real to him. Of course the boy was speaking to one on almost a nightly basis, but he had still not made the connection that Dom was actually a dead human. To him he was kind of like a different species, like a speaking alien or a robot or a speaking hologram, but he didn't look at Dom as an actual former human being. Yes, Mauro, she's a ghost now. I'm certain. Dom got impatient with the kid a few weeks later when he was asking the same questions over and over again. Dom hovered in front of the moondial, pointing at it. Just look at the moondial. The symbols tell me that there is a ghost just a few hundred meters away from here. She's the one who died, she's the one who got confused, and she's the one who needs help. Needs help. For some reason this time, the help aspect got through to the kid. He knew that Dom was here on a mission, but he never really understood what the mission was. So that night the boy asked and Dom started explaining. I am here because he keeps the ghost trapped. Il Traditore, the ruler of the ghost world, called the traitor. Since he has been the ruler, ghosts can't escape. As far as I know, he took over the ghost world around 1400. It is known that he started out as a pirate when he was still alive. And later in his life he made his way into the high society of Florence. When he eventually died, he became a ghost. But this was before my time. Dom explained to the eagerly listening kid and continued. Just a few years later, ghosts couldn't leave the ghost world anymore. Take the old lady who just died, for example. She became a ghost because she didn't know that she died at the moment of her death. Her essence, or if you will, her spirit is still wandering around, thinking, I'm alive. Her spirit didn't make the transition fully into heaven, if you will, and instead now, when morning comes, she's part of the world in between worlds, and that's what you call the ghost world. Home of many different creatures, not just ghosts, by the way. During the day, she is wandering around, deep inside the ghost world, living a new life, but at night, she comes back to Earth with limited memories that are all bound to a single object. A part of her soul tries to find the door out every night on Earth, so she doesn't have to return to the ghost world in the morning hours. In the past, most ghosts would eventually make it out, despite it sometimes taking days, months, years or even decades. They just had to understand that they were dead and then let go of this life, let go of objects, of people, of love, especially of hate and feuds. Unfortunately though, Il Traditore made that impossible. Somehow he took charge of the exit door and now nobody can get out anymore. In the beginning the moon dial was the answer. With the help of this device which was created at the same time as Il Traditore took over, 
it was possible to release ghosts on Earth, and that's why I'm here. I help ghosts to escape. Unfortunately, in the end, I got banned from the ghost world, but that's a different story. Mauro hesitatingly nodded, letting the information soak in. After a brief silence, Dom added, Your friend, Mrs. Hauser, got trapped in being a ghost indefinitely, and there's no way out for her. I'm sorry. Dom stopped talking and lowered his head. Sadness entered the room and Mauro thought of Mrs. Hauser wandering around in her house, possibly right in that moment. If true, this was a grim fate for such a nice lady, and the boy felt really sorry for her. Then he asked in a delicate tone, So what can you do about it? The ghost looked up immediately, but this time a light smile formed. His unblinking eyes stared into the distance for a second, and before his mind's eye he remembered a time even longer than 150 years ago. He remembered when he was fighting for all the ghosts, he remembered a place where he belonged, a group which he called friends, and a word which he revealed to Mauro for the very first time. Well, Mauro, we are called Silmarons. You must know, the only thing that I can do right now is search for the next one. The boy didn't reply right away, but was instantly intrigued by the ring of the word. Silmaron. It had a mysterious vibe, but still it felt good-hearted and noble. So after Dom didn't expand on his thought, Mauro asked respectfully, What is a Silmaron, Dom? Dom smiled again and said, uplifted, I must confess, I like hearing the word again, after such a long time. Mauro, the Silmarons are an ancient ghost-hunter caste. Dom's description of the Silmarons that night made a lasting impression on the kid. Adventurous and wild missions in ancient times, riding on horseback, chasing and trapping ghosts in the middle of the night under a full moon and releasing them with the help of the moondial. He could feel the freedom and sensed an untamed life. It made him remember the night when he snuck out the first time to calibrate the moondial. The sense of danger and adventure had stayed with him, but most importantly, he remembered the magic that he had witnessed that night, the giant half-dome made out of star systems and the magnificent ghost world scenes displayed in front of him. In the end, it was hard for the boy not to romanticize the life of a Silmaron and to get lost in the dream of becoming one himself. But because he had already declined Dom's offer to get involved in helping Mrs. Hauser, Dom had already started to look for a different way to move forward. For the ghost it was clear, Mauro had to part with the Moondial sooner or later, and in the meantime he was already looking for the next candidates. Unfortunately following this conversation, Mauro didn't see the ghost for many weeks. His life outside the ghost world had in the meantime also picked up steam. Since his 16th birthday recently he had a girlfriend and life was quite normal again. Even though he opened and watched the Moondial for a few minutes on many nights, his thoughts revolved more and more around ordinary things again. This was until he overheard some of the neighbor kids talking about something interesting. The kids were four, maybe five years older than him and Mauro looked up to them. They were the cool kids, the role models. When Mauro started kindergarten, they were already at school. 
when he started high school, they were the older ones already finishing school and now they were basically adults. However, as Mauro heard them talk about a terrifying encounter, he started to become nosy. Apparently they had met up and gone drinking on the weekend at a local bar and became quite drunk after closing hours. Suddenly they noticed a figure following them into an alley not far from Mauro's house. The figure, they said, went through the wall and later appeared right behind them. One of them even swore that the figure started talking to them. They all bolted in fear and were all saying that it was indeed a ghost. As Mauro heard this, he just had to smile and his first thought was, well, which one, Dom or Mrs. Hauser? Anyway, Mauro found it funny how the cool kids got scared and this story made him want to talk to Dom again. Dom, talk to me. He wrote on a piece of paper after having stayed up late for three nights in a row to talk to the ghost without success. He placed the piece of paper next to the moon dial and hoped that Dom would read it. Unfortunately, the plan did not work. It looked like Dom had made up his mind, Maurer had failed his test and Dom had apparently broken up with him, well ironically just like Maurer's girlfriend did just a few days later. More than half a year had passed since Maurer had snuck out to the lake to meet Dom and to calibrate the moon dial, before he decided to sneak out for a second time. It was already winter and the lake was not quite frozen over, but nevertheless, after midnight it was bitter cold. Since Dom had not shown up anymore to talk to him or to take a look at the moon dial, the boy thought he would make him show up by taking the moon dial with him to the lake and waiting until ghost hour started and this time the plan worked. The moon dial lit up and it was just a matter of minutes until Dom started to appear close to the lake. Dom took his time however, but eventually floated out of the dark forest somewhat confused as it seemed. After all, with Maura owning the moon dial, the boy was in charge of where it would go and there was nothing Dom could do about it. What are you doing, Maura? Right back at you, Maura asked Dom without missing a beat. What are you doing scaring my neighbors in an alley, Dom? Dom was completely caught off guard and was shocked that Mauro knew the story. He immediately turned away to hide his surprise. How? How do you know about it, boy? Was the brief reply from the ghost, but Mauro wouldn't say. Instead, he shrugged his shoulders, enjoying this little secret, and asked Dom, Why did you do it? Was it fun? The boy imagined ghosts sometimes having fun floating through walls and scaring people. After briefly thinking about it, Dom had to agree. Well, actually, yes, it was quite funny. They were really scared and ran away. Dom smiled now, but continued in a more serious tone. However, that's not why I did it. Mauro, you know I'm looking for the next Silmaron. My mission is to help all the lost souls and release them with the Moondial. That's why I'm already looking for a grown-up candidate. So, the last few months I have been looking for adults that are located within the radius I have from your room. These guys in the alley were some of my potential recruits. The ghost finished and the boy was surprised to hear that. Mauro had not been aware that Dom was looking for candidates with that kind of urgency and he thought immediately about the moon dial and how he might lose it. Then the ghost continued. But they all ran away. So far, everyone is scared. The only one who is not scared is you. 
Dom turned away, contemplating the next step. Then he said something the boy was afraid to hear. Mauro, I have to ask you to bring the Moondial to a different place. I want you to get rid of it. I need to find a Silmaron, and here where you are, there's nobody that matches the requirements. The boy went silent. He didn't like what the ghost wanted from him at all. After all, the Moondial was his prized possession now, so the boy was thinking what he could say to keep it. Dom, on the other hand, was ready to end the conversation. He had delivered his message and was about to float back into the forest, when Mauro, also thinking about Mrs. Hauser's grim future, said on a whim, Dom, wait. Before you leave, let's help Mrs. Hauser first. I know I'm not a Silmaron, but I'd like to help her. Chapter 4 That night, after much effort, Mauro was able to convince the ghost to catch Mrs. Hauser with his help. Dom knew that this was not a risky undertaking for the kid, and although he might fail, there was certainly no true danger for him. And so, a few days later, as Mauro put on the black leather gloves, he felt like a dangerous man. These were the first Silmaron accessories he got, and they had to be made out of real leather, not just a knockoff. When it comes to ghosts, everything has to be real, Dom had told him. Real leather, real iron and stone, real gold and diamonds, ash and coal, wax and holy water. In the days leading up to the mission which the boy had eventually agreed to do, however, Mauro still had other things to take care of. During the daytime he checked out the house in which Mrs. Hauser had died and at night he discussed the plan with Dom. One thing that Mauro was sure of was that her husband had died almost a decade before her and so the house stood empty now at least as far as he knew. The boy quickly found a spot where he could enter the property without anyone noticing him from the street. Right at the corner, hidden by a tall hedge, was a piece of fence which he could climb over when nobody would see him, especially at night. The way inside the house he had not yet figured out. Unfortunately, he had never been inside the house or inside the property for that matter, so the plan was to simply smash a basement window in the back of the house with a hammer wrapped in a towel. This he had seen on TV and it seemed like a proper burglar thing to do. Dom told Mauro in preparation for the mission that becoming a Silmaron was a long process and this mission was a one-time only event, with the sole purpose of helping Mrs. Hauser to escape and nothing more. Mauro agreed to that of course and that meant in his mind that he could keep the Moondial for longer and then see what happened afterwards. Also Dom made it very clear that there were many rules and things to know about especially when dealing with curses and cursed objects, for that matter. Dom continually repeated a mantra that the boy did not seem to take very seriously. You don't want to get entangled in a web of curses. There is rarely a way to get out unharmed. That's why Dom first had to make sure that his initial assessment of the situation was right. Hopefully Mrs. Hauser was an ordinary ghost and no curse was involved in her dying process. However, for that he needed to get closer. Closer to what? Mauro asked him the night before the mission, and Dom gave him an elaborate answer. Closer to the anchor the ghost is drawn to. We need to be closer to the object the ghost visits at night, in our case to an object inside the house, probably right there where she died. It might even be the mirror she broke in her last seconds of struggle. 
Mauro nodded, taking everything in, and Dom explained even further as to why this was so important. Because almost all souls' memories are tied to the material world, to the human body in fact. Ghosts don't remember almost anything when they come back. But the closer the ghost gets to the object, the more they remember. And that's why the connection to the object is so strong and so important. These are the last memories that they have from this world. Often it was the last thing that the ghost saw or had in his or her mind at the moment of their death. Ghosts often wander around for years, decades and even centuries visiting their ghost object. What we need to find is Mrs. Hauser's object inside the house and simultaneously Mrs. Hauser needs to be close enough to that object so the moon dial can sync them together. Only then we will get more information about what to do next. Dom finished his briefing with a confident nod. So we won't catch her right away? Was the boy's next question? No, Mauro. Tomorrow night we'll just gather some more information from Miss Hauser, with the help of the Moondial. The following night the mission started a few minutes before 4 a.m. Dom took the lead and Mauro followed him to Mrs. Hauser's house. Mauro, I'll scan the inside of the house quickly and give you a sign if there's nobody in there who could see you. Dom said as the boy was already climbing over the spot on the fence which he had chosen a few days earlier. The moondial was ready to be used in his pocket and as soon as Mauro made it into the garden he took it out and started it up. The ghost moved ahead quickly leaving the boy behind, disappearing into the house by floating through the wall. Meanwhile Mauro stayed low, hiding in the corner of the property watching the ghost watch boot up. Foggy symbols and signs appeared right in front of him and the dial started buzzing around, even faster than ever. This time, however, not just ghost symbols appeared, but also something the boy recognized. A swing. The moon dial put the swing in the center, right above the dials, and Greek and Roman letters started forming out of the ghostly fog, until they floated together and formed words. Unfortunately, Mauro didn't speak the language, but his best guess was Latin. Dom was supposed to come back any second now, but sometimes plans change. A very subtle sound caught Mauro's attention. He heard a very gentle squeaking and scratching on his right side and as he looked about 20 meters across the garden, a transparent whitish figure was standing next to two trees, with one hand holding onto an old rotting wooden swing. Oh God, that's her, was Mauro's first thought. She even moved the swing very gently, or was it just the wind? Up until that moment, it was all just talk, guessing and imagining it. But now he recognized her form, he recognized her posture and he recognized the way she stood there. So it is true, she is dead. She is dead and a ghost, he thought with a sense of stillness emerging within him. And in that moment a wave of sadness radiating from her white, foggy body hit him and he realized that it was the same sadness he noticed when he first met Dom. Do all ghosts have this sadness, this longing? Suddenly, Mrs. Hauser turned around, cutting off any thought Mauro had in that moment. Surprisingly, she didn't look at the boy, but Dom, who was just reappearing from the house, sticking his neck out through the wall and whispering to Mauro. Mauro, come on! 
That's when Mrs. Hauser noticed the two and a ghostly, panically squeak got carried with the wind towards the boy. In the blink of an eye, Mrs. Hauser took off, going right through the hedges. Man, those ghosts are fast, Maura thought, and she is just an old lady. Then the boy turned around. Dom, you scared her, he whispered in a blaming tone, but Dom couldn't do anything about it now and floated back to the boy. After the initial disappointment had passed, Maura looked at the moondial again, held it up to Dom and said, Look, the moondial is showing us a swing. This really surprised Dom. It took the ghost a few glances to realize that the mission had been successful after all. Unbelievable, Mauro. The moondial picked up the object because it was not as we thought inside the house, it was outside. Look, it's a swing. Then Dom started reading some cryptic Latin words in a secretive way, which he translated for Mauro. With the last memories, as a child, I swing. Dom nodded his head and after a few seconds he added, Let's go to the swing. The ghost started to explain to the boy what he thought it meant. However, Mauro was distracted and not listening. The boy was trying to see if there was any wind and if the swing was moving. When Mauro had first seen Mrs. Hauser, he thought he had also seen the swing moving, but now there was no wind and the swing stood still. Dom, why was the swing moving? Mauro interrupted the ghost. Did Mrs. Hauser really push it? Can ghosts do that? Dom stopped talking and turned to Mauro. Well, it is wood, and wood can be moved. That was fascinating to the boy. So ghosts can slam doors and push over chairs, as long as they're made out of real wood? Mauro asked, and Dom nodded while adding, The older the wood, the easier it is to move, but don't ask me why. The two stood there for a few seconds in silence before Dom asked Mauro to carve out a piece of wood from the swing and put it in his bag in order to finish the mission. Mauro did as he was told and was relieved that the mission was over. Or at least that's what he thought. Right before he was about to climb over the fence again to get to the street, Dom stopped him. Mauro, wait. I think I know how we can catch her. But for that, we still need to get inside the house. The shattering of the window glass was the most nerve-wracking thing for Mauro. But once the boy got into the house and nobody seemed to have heard it, he was fully immersed in playing burglar. Dom was floating about two or three meters in front of him, showing him the way. His glowing eyes were easy to spot inside the dark house and Mauro's flashlight was moving like a pendulum, from left to right, pointing at the walls, furniture and doors. For the boy this was creepy, but also exciting. The right amount of scary and fun, leaning a little bit more to the scary side. As they went upstairs, they found a spot where the broken mirror had hung. She must have died over here. Dom sat and pointed at the window looking out to the garden and the swing. Mauro nodded and Dom continued. She tumbled backwards and broke the mirror in a final second spot. The last thing on her mind was certainly the swing. I think she will almost certainly come back to this place at night as well. Then the two noticed the mirror was missing. The family had put the golden brown baroque-like frame on a table in the next room and it took the two a few minutes before they found it. Then Dom told Mauro to take it with him and Mauro replied jokingly, What? So I really am a burglar. 
Fortunately, the mirror frame was fairly small and with some force fit into his backpack. Just before they headed out, Dom suggested starting up the moon dial again to check if there was more information they needed. The ghost quickly studied the symbols, but got no sign of Mrs. Hauser. Also, Dom made sure that there was really no curse involved in her death, and as everything checked out fine, he was about to call it quits, until he suddenly went quiet and said in a surprised tone, Mauro, wait. Now there's something new showing up, and it's not Mrs. Hauser. Mauro held the moon dial in his hand and also concentrated on the symbols. Indeed, there was another sign appearing, indicating that there were someone or something new. However, from the look of the sign it seemed dangerous. It was almost like a hazard sign, just drawn in the style of the Middle Ages. Let's go over to the window, facing the street. Maybe we'll get a better signal. Dom said. As the boy moved closer to the window in the back of the house, the signal indeed got stronger. Dom tried to figure out the direction and how far away the new ghost thing was by reading the cryptic words provided by the moon dial. Hmm. The radius is large. Unfortunately, that's no ordinary ghost. That's something else, Mauro. The ghost said, but what Dom wouldn't say to the boy that night. The Moondal continued to spit out many more new words and symbols, which Dom studied carefully and, as before, started reciting the messages in Latin, in somewhat poetic way, like a wizard calling to the gods. However, this time Dom didn't translate them for the boy, and for good reason. Mauro in the meantime looked around and onto the street. Far in the distance he located the old Hirsau Abbey walls and its tower ruins. For some reason, maybe out of intuition, the ancient ruin with the still intact church and the graveyard stood out to him, and the boy pointed the top of the moon dial, more precisely the number 12, in the direction of the church and the tall ruin walls stretching out. Surprisingly, the moon dial locked onto the chapel and made it its focal point by spitting out the word Sasellum. Suddenly, something else appeared from the moon dial floating upwards. The ghostly white fog became bigger and revealed not a sign, but an object. It was a book. Mauro had hit the bull's eye, it seemed. Look, Dom, I pointed it at the church and disappeared. Dom almost stumbled a few steps backwards. This can't be true, boy. The ghost was shocked to see the book showing up. He checked the inscription a few times and read the message the Moondal had provided him and added, Mauro, I know the book. I know the history of it because it is directly tied to my own past. It was the last mission I worked on before the Il Traditore caught me and banished me from the ghost world. Chapter 5 The mirror was the first thing Mauro had ever stolen in his life. Although he knew it was for a good cause, he still felt paranoid that his parents would walk in or somehow find it and ask some difficult questions which he could not easily answer. So he kept it under his bed in a big shopping bag wrapped in t-shirts to make it look like a bag for charity, with all his old clothes in it. Luckily, the next thing he needed in order to continue the mission was something he could more easily get. He needed candles, white candles, the ones they use in churches and he needed many of them. So he bought two dozen candles which was more than enough to build a functioning ghost trap. A few nights later, following the success of their plan, it was time for Dom to show him what to do next. 
The mirror was lying on the floor in Mara's room. A little bit more than half of it was still intact, but the rest of the glass, the lower part, was missing. Light up the candles and wait until the wax is getting hot. Was Dom's order and that's what the boy did. In his room soon there were a dozen candle burning, placed all over the furniture creating a warm but mysterious atmosphere. Pour the candle wax, one candle at a time, onto the broken mirror model. Dom said and turned away from the boy. In essence, Mauro had to cover up the whole surface of the mirror with wax, drip by drip, drop by drop. Just a thin layer is enough, but there shouldn't be any area that is able to reflect left visible. Dom added, staying curiously far away from the boy and the mirror the whole time, making sure that he was not able to look right at it. Mauro completed the task and asked the ghost puzzled, Why aren't you looking? Am I doing it right? Dom assured him, You're doing fine, Mauro. Just make sure you cover the whole area. I can't look at it because I don't want to see myself. Mauro raised his eyebrows astound and Dom continued, You know, ghosts can't see themselves in ordinary mirrors. They just float by, never seeing their image reflect. But if you put a layer of white wax on it, they can see their reflection. They see their old self, they see how they looked when they were still alive. And this often startles them. They freeze and it reopens wounds that are already deep enough and just cause them to become deeper. That's why I don't like this ghost trap too much. You know, it's playing with memories that the ghosts need to forget in order to move on. But in this case, I think it's justified. I'm sure this is how we catch Mrs. Hauser, trust me. A small leather bag was the next thing Mauro had to get. So he bought a very big leather cutout and prepared a couple of leather pieces in the size of very large tissues. Then he used a small piece of leather rope to tie it shut and create a little bag. It looked like a medieval bag of sorts where you kept the gold coins. When the boy asked Dom, however, what he needed it for, Dom said in a teasing tone, That, my friend, is where you put the eyeballs. And then he smiled knowing that the boy would be quite intimidated by the statement and indeed Mauro was. The kid couldn't quite tell if the ghost was joking or if he was being serious. Mauro played along though, hiding his surprise as best as possible by raising his eyebrows, forcing a smile and holding in a long breath, waiting patiently for Dom to continue. You know boy, the leather bag keeps ghost eyes contained inside of it preventing them from escaping from this world. They become solid inside the bag and feel like big marbles. They are heavy and dense, but the souls of the ghosts are still captured inside of them. And that's how you can take any ghost with you, whenever and wherever you want. Just don't open the bag or they will escape into the ghost world again. Do you get that? Dom asked Mauro and the boy nodded in shock thinking about having to touch Mrs. Hauser's eyes. So that's what I have to do? I mean I have to touch her eyes? But how do we actually? Mauro asked but before he could even finish the next question, Dom answered in an easygoing manner. Exactly boy, you just grab the eyes with your leather gloves and pull. Leather can make contact with the ghost's eyes and that's how you catch her. This was Dom's easy enough solution for the kid and shortly after they left the house to catch a ghost. 
As they arrived, Dom checked that the window in the back of the house was still broken. This time, however, Mauro entered through the garden door on the left side of the house, which he had unlocked the last time they were there. They avoided going to the swing right away since that was the most likely place that Mrs. Hauser would be. Instead, they decided to go to the spot where the mirror had been. In silence, they went through the empty house and before every corner, they stopped and made sure that Mrs. Hauser was not hiding behind it. They tried not to scare her away again and Mauro even had his flashlight turned off this time for that reason. Darkness would become the ghost hunter's best friend and as soon as they got to the destined spot, Dom said, Mauro, put the mirror back on the wall. After that, Dom turned around for his own safety again. Mauro carefully got the mirror out of his bag, making sure none of the hardened wax had broken off. But be careful, Dom added. Yes, I know. Do you want to do it? Mauro answered snappishly, feeling the stress of the situation and not knowing what was about to come next. This was way out of his comfort zone and the boy was still unsure of how to actually catch her. Then Dom suggested getting the moonlight out to see if it would help them get some more information. Just seconds later he got the affirmation. She's here boy. Let's get ready. After that they went to the same window that Mrs. Hauser was standing next to just seconds before her death, where she was looking out at the swing. Once again, just like the last time, she was standing right next to the swing in the yard. Her glowing eyeballs were giving her ghostly, foggy silhouette some light and Mauro could feel her sadness again. And so could Dom. She was lost in her memories again and would be staring for all eternity if they didn't do something. What's next, Dom? Mauro asked and broke the silence. Well, we could wait until she decides by herself that she wants to take a walk and revisit the place where she died. Or we can take the risk and try to lure her here, maybe by making some noise. That's a gamble though. You never know how a ghost is going to react. Sometimes they get curious, but sometimes they flee. They are like deers, very suspicious of everything they don't know. Just imagine you're living inside a dream and anything loud, weird or scared can cause you to wake up. That's how it is for a ghost. They are living inside their own familiar memories and everything they don't know scares them. But unlike a dream, they can't just wake up, they can only hide. Dom, let's wait first, suggested Mauro and Dom agreed. So they chose a spot where they had a clear view of the mirror and waited. It was in a chance room where they could leave the door slightly open and had the perfect angle to see the mirror from the side. Even the window and a good portion of the staircase was visible from this vantage point. Mauro also took the back into that room so nothing would tip Mrs. Hauser off that something unusual was going to happen. After that the boy sat down right next to Dom and said, so this is it? This is what it's like to catch a ghost to be a Silmaron? You just wait a lot? Dom smiled a little and replied, Well boy, actually no. That's the furthest from the truth. Silmarons are masters of fire. Our ghost traps are mostly fire traps, but not just that. Silmarons can bring fire to life, use it as weapons, as shields and even as surprise elements, far from the distance. But I can't let you do that. You will die. 
I think just setting a ghost trap like the ghost mirror and waiting is a good start for your first hunt. With that said, Mauro was quite happy with just waiting for Mrs. Hauser too. But unfortunately the ghost didn't show up for more than an hour, which was starting to make the two a little bit restless. For Mauro the absence of Mrs. Hauser turned out to be actually a good thing. He had time to acclimate and he had become calmer with every passing minute. Then Dom suggested that they take a risk because they could quickly run out of time if they wanted to get out of the house unnoticed and back home while it was still dark. Mauro, let's see if she's still standing at the swing. Dom said, so Mauro went to the window which looked out to the swing while Dom stayed back in order to avoid the ghost mirror. The boy looked out into the yard and noticed she was gone. Hurry, take the moon dial and see if she's still there. Dom said from the other room while staying in the door frame. Suddenly a different ghostly voice appeared and said in a gentle and puzzled tone, Mauro, is that you? Mrs. Hauser had just floated up the stairs and to her surprise, the boy she remembered from her past, Mauro, was standing there. Mauro looked to his far right at Dom in shock who purposefully didn't speak a word so as not to scare her away again and was only making some gestures. Mauro, is it really you? Mrs. Hauser repeated again in a soft voice that only a ghost could produce. Her piercing eyes stared at the boy without blinking, without giving away a hint of emotion, just a shell of a human but still capable of feeling desperation and she was moving closer and closer. Hello, Mrs. Hauser. Mauro hesitatingly answered, and with every step she moved closer to him, he took a step backwards and to the side, towards Dom, trying to create some distance from her. His heart was pounding like a drum, and his body tensed up wanting to flee. He thought regretfully about agreeing to this and looked blamingly at Dom. At that moment, however, as Mrs. Hauser passed the mirror, she caught a glimpse of herself in it, and Mauro was no longer the object of her attention. Oh my! She exclaimed in disbelief as she slowly floated towards the mirror, reaching with her right hand towards her ghostly face. It was as if she had seen her face for the first time in a very long time. She was really close to the mirror now and kept turning, looking at herself from different angles. Suddenly Dom started whispering aggressively, risking drawing her attention to him and potentially making her flee again. Mauro, the eyes! Dom tried to communicate to the boy. What? Mauro leaned towards Dom and whispered back. Grab the eyes and pull them out. Dom whispered louder and made a gesture of two hands grabbing something and ripping it violently out. Now Mauro understood and it took all of his inner strength to overcome his fear and hesitation. Bravely he made his first steps towards Mrs. Hauser in the same spirit as when he had gone out to the lake that night, almost one year ago, to challenge the gods. Mrs. Hauser was still so consumed with looking at her former human self in the ghost mirror that she was completely unaware of Mauro moving closer to her. She was deeply consumed by the bittersweet memories of her past life as an old woman. As Mauro lifted his shaking arms like an oddly terrified serial killer creeping up behind his victim, her focus on the mirror allowed the boy to position himself right behind her. Then Mauro grabbed through the white fog, breaking the counters of her head, and reached for the glowing, soul-searing eyeballs of Mrs. Hauser. 
With all his strength and one determined move, the boy grabbed them, cutting off the memories that were reaching from his soul to earth. Like magnets, her eyes resisted at first but quickly gave in to the pull of someone who just meant well. Immediately the glow from her eyes disappeared and the surrounding ghost fog got thinner and thinner, losing any life force. With the two heavy spheres in his hand, the boy looked at Dom and Terra, who shot towards him. Well done, boy, well done. Now take the leather bag and put them in there. As soon as Mauro put the eyes inside and tied the bag shut, he laid down on the floor and spread out like a starfish. Mauro looked at the dark ceiling in disbelief that this just happened. This was crazy, crazy, just crazy. Dom floated over to the boy and celebrated, but Mauro told the ghost that he just needed a few minutes to himself and continued to lay there on the floor. Unbelievable. Now I'm a Silmaron, the kid thought. Chapter 6 What to do with the waxed-up mirror was the question Mauro was pondering that night. He thought it would be strange for Mrs. Hauser's relatives to see it hanging in the house again, so he and Dom decided to take it with them. Not just for that reason alone, however, but also to use it as a potential ghost trap in the future. Surprisingly, Mrs. Hauser's family noticed the break-in fairly quickly. Just a week later, Mauro's parents told him that they were talking to the neighbors and word had gotten around that there had been a burglar in Mrs. Hauser's house. The neighbors knew of the smashed window, but the really strange thing to everyone was that the thief only took the broken mirror. Who would do something like that? Mauro's mother asked puzzled while standing in the kitchen making her morning coffee. Well. A man with a reason, Mauro thought. It seemed, however, that nobody had seen anything and this was the most important thing for Mauro. In these kinds of conversations he felt like he was walking on eggshells and realized that he didn't want to go down that road again. This also meant that he had to be extremely careful about hiding the mirror in his room and about how to plan future missions. Mauro had to be careful of a whole lot more than just that, though. Dom, the moondial, the leather bag with the eyeballs inside, even the leather gloves and the many candles. All of this was becoming a burden on him and he was contemplating somewhere else he could hide his stuff. Unfortunately though, he had not yet found the right solution. For Dom, the next project was clear. Other than releasing Mrs. Hauser, he wanted to take a look at the church. The sign that the moondial had picked up that night had immensely piqued his interest and the book was something the Moondial wanted him to get. He hoped it would give him some clues about what had happened after his banishment over 150 years ago from the ghost world. So, one night the ghost decided to mention the sign and the unusually large radius pointing to the church as the location or perhaps even the graveyard to Mauro and suggested checking it out. This was however concerning to the boy. The graveyard at night? I don't know, Dom. The boy was hesitant to agree on visiting a graveyard at night. However, the ghost calmed him down by presenting a different plan. Look, Mauro, I just want to scan the area and find out what is going on there. I don't even want you to come with me. I want to go alone. This sounded better to the boy, but it still meant that he had to get the moondial close enough to the church while hiding somewhere outside, which he still wasn't keen on. He was nervous about going out at night with so many skeletons stashed in his room. One thing Dom suggested a few nights later was to hide the moondial in the graveyard during the day 
and then the ghost could wander around at night to check out the area and maybe even find the book. Now this was an option the boy thought was okay, and he even found an obvious justification for going to the cemetery. Mrs. Hauser was buried there. Mauro could certainly go to the grave during the day and hide the moondial in the flowers. In case anyone would ask what he was doing there, he could tell them that he was the neighbor and was checking in for himself or his parents. Dom liked the explanation as well and so this became their next mission. Only this time, however, they would be separated while completing it. Nevertheless, one aspect of the solution Mauro didn't like was that he had to leave the moondial alone all night. He already felt it was his and he knew he would regret it terribly if it somehow got lost. In a way, Mauro was already becoming like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. The moondial was now his precious. When Mauro entered the graveyard, he felt like an undercover spy, ready to sneakily plant a bug or something of the likes. This was going to be easy, he thought, and confidently walked in there with his 16 years of life experience. Until it hit him. This cemetery was big. There were at least 500 people buried there, maybe more the boy estimated. So he ran into his first major obstacle from not having done any research. Which one was her grave? Do they have a list or something? Mauro didn't want to ask anyone as he didn't want to draw any attention to himself, but because of that he ended up drawing the most attention to him. It was quite a lovely spring day and he noticed that there were more people strolling around than he had anticipated. There were dozens of older women walking around and taking care of graves of their loved ones. And with every passing minute of Mauro's cluelessly wandering around through the cemetery, he became more and more awkward. At some point he felt like everyone was looking at him, asking themselves, what is this kid doing here? As Mauro looked up to the church tower, he even imagined that the priest was looking down at him, raising one eyebrow, wondering, who is this punk? Is this guy here to vandalize and spray graffiti on the church walls? Then Mauro saw an old bench, trudged his way there and sat down, feeling like an absolute moron for a few minutes. Finally, an old lady who had already noticed him and his confusion before walked up to him and asked if he was looking for something. So Mauro reluctantly gave in and told her that he was looking for Mrs. Hauser's grave. Oh yes, Hauser, I'll show you boy, come with me, the woman replied and now things were worse and Mauro's cover was completely blown. Not just that, instead of being a stealth operation, he had found himself a new friend. And now he had to play along because the nice old lady insisted on showing him the grave. After walking for a few seconds he almost lost his cool and just wanted to run away like a madman. But the grave was not far away and so he postponed his decision to flee. Mauro was just concerned that she would ask him who he was, but luckily the lady did what old ladies typically do. She started talking about her own nephew, assuming that he too was Mrs. Hauser's nephew. For Mauro this was the point where he decided to pull out the moondial and try to keep it concealed from the old lady in his palm. He didn't know when she was going to leave and thought that he should be ready at any point to plant the bug. Mrs. Hauser's grave had some pretty elaborate flower decorations on it and the boy thought that he could easily hide the moondial inside one of the arrangements. Getting ready to bend down and pretend as if he was tending the flowers, the nice old lady said to his surprise, I leave you two alone now. And she left. Thank you, the boy replied almost inappropriately too loud, but really coming from the bottom of his heart.
Quickly, he placed the closed moon dial not just next to the flowers, but buried it fist deep into the ground next to the prominent tulip, which he thought he would easily recognize when he returned. Then he stood there pretending that he was praying or something. The boy didn't even know what people do at graves. Maybe talk to deceased spirits? In this case though, it made no sense, he thought, because he had just caught Mrs. Hauser a few nights ago and if he wanted to talk to her, he could just take out her eyeballs and do that. Anyway, Maurus stood there for a few minutes, looked around to see if anyone was looking at him, made a cross sign like a good Catholic and headed out. His part of the mission was done. He hid it like a boss, or at least that was what he was going to tell Dom. At ghost hour, Dom found himself surrounded by graves. The bright shining moon, sun-ground fog and of course himself included made the cemetery look like a scene from a horror movie. Dom floated through the labyrinth of greystones towards the church tower, scanning the surrounding area with his glowing, piercing eyes. A cat crossed his path and as he turned towards her, she quickly jumped into a hedge. First he wanted to make sure that no other ghosts were nearby, but as every now and then he heard loud voices coming from behind the ruined walls that surrounded the graveyard, he was quite sure that no ordinary ghost would be here right now. It was way too loud. As Dom reached the tower, he first took one look at it, carefully examining the large stones the church was made of. He had a lot of experience with churches, castles and ruins and could often tell if secret entrances were present. For that reason, he was looking for small hints and signs carved into the stones, which were usually barely noticeable to anyone else. Not that he needed a secret entrance to get inside the church, but he wanted to see if there were any hidden forgotten rooms that not even the priests knew existed. That was usually where all the good stuff was hidden. What he really wanted to find, of course, was the book that the Moondial had shown him. He knew, however, that it was most certainly hidden well in such a way that nobody alive today would have ever considered. So he checked the stones one by one and indeed, at the back of the church there was some carvings of interest. He found what they called thorn signs, carved into the stones, some up to one and a half meters high. This must be the entrance he concluded and floated through the ancient wall. He ended up right inside a thorn's nest, which was essentially what the Moondial had already predicted when it had shown him that malevolent sign. Never before he had set foot into an actual thorn's nest. Even though he was ancient, this was something new. Back in the day, no ghost would have ever dared to enter a nest like this. It would have been way too dangerous. His glowing eyes filled the room with a small amount of light for the first time maybe in centuries. Right away he found something that shook him to his core. It was a tall skeleton made out of cast iron, with two round cages as big as fists positioned where the eyes would usually be. He knew that that was where the ghost eyeballs would be placed during interrogation by the thorns. He floated further into the room, which was quite small, just 5 meters long and barely 3 meters wide, stretching unnoticed along the side of the massive church for centuries. The room was just big enough to hide forbidden objects, hold secret rituals and, of course, to interrogate ghosts. There were many ancient objects displayed on the shelves that spanned the length of the wall all the way up to the very top. Then he found something unexpected. There were three knee-high leather bags filled with something that looked like potatoes. Could it be? He asked himself as he floated closer and indeed it was as he thought. Bags filled with ghost eyeballs. 
Then he looked up the small shelves that were carved into the thick stone again and realized that all the objects on the shelves were ghost objects and each and every one of them was tied to a pair of eyes inside the leather bags. Oh God, there are hundreds, Dom whispered. His search was not yet over, however. He was still looking for the book that the Moondial had shown him and this he found on the far right side of the top shelf. As he saw it, a wave of bitterness overcame him. You fool! He barked out at the author and cursed unhinged for a few seconds. Then he looked around one last time, taking everything in. The hundreds of ghosts captured in the bags. The interrogation device where countless ghosts had to answer questions they didn't understand. And the book which was so closely tied to his own banishment 150 years ago. The reason he had been endlessly waiting in desperation until Mauro found the Moondial. It all made him sick. So he left the thorns nest in rage and ended the search for the night. The next day, picking up the Moondial from the graveyard was easy for Mauro. Thank God the old lady wasn't there. He didn't leave the cemetery right away, however, because he was almost certain that this wasn't over for him. Mauro bet that Dom would ask him at some point to return. So he tried to memorize as much of the grounds as he could, just in case. He also went inside the medieval church out of interest. He even tried to find some information about when it was built and some other historic facts that day. When the boy got home, he drew a little sketch from his memory and put it where all the other Silmaron stuff was. Mauro was starting to enjoy this part of the job. It was fun and interesting to him because it had the right amount of danger and secrecy. That night he stayed up late waiting for Dom to appear. He was curious about what the ghost had found, but for some reason Dom didn't show up right away as he had expected. Instead, the ghost was staying in the backyard thinking about what to do next. The thorn's nest was a big thing for him and he knew that even an adult Silmaron had to be unbelievably careful dealing with it. At least that was the case when the thorns were really active about two, three, four hundred years ago. But now Dom just wasn't sure if there were even any thorns left, so he decided not to go into too many details. When Dom finally appeared that night and the boy asked, he just mentioned that he had found a secret entrance to the church with a thorns nest inside and explained to Mauro that the thorns were just the organization in charge of dealing with the phenomenon of ghosts for the church and left out all the other details. Chapter 7 so, when is the best time? Mauro asked Dom one night. The leather bag containing Mrs. House's eyeballs was sitting right in front of him and the boy was looking forward to releasing her. Take out the piece of wood you got from the swing, Dom said. Mauro put it next to the moondial on his table and shortly after that, Dom spoke some Latin words to the moondial which it somehow surprisingly understood. It was the first time the boy had heard Dom give it an order and he was surprised that it could also hear and respond to him. Then the Moondial locked onto the wood. Shortly after, a star map appeared relating to Mrs. Hauser and the ghost world. The star map floated up to the ceiling and a timestamp began to appear right above the table. It then showed a full moon and it converted everything quickly to the Earth's calendar, revealing a specific date. Sunday night would be when we could release her. As that's when the next full moon is. Dom briefly replied. Okay, great, but how do we do that? 
Mauro wanted to know and Dom explained that they needed water again. He told the boy that it was going to be very much like the night when they calibrated the moondial. So they agreed to complete their first mission on Sunday night in the same spot as the last time, right next to where the fort stood by the lake. Come on, do something. Mauro was talking to himself. It was Sunday and he had all afternoon to himself because his parents were on a trip visiting some relatives. His thoughts were concentrated on releasing Mrs. Hauser into heaven or wherever she was going to go and he was bored. So he decided he could go back to the church and do some more research. Mauro was definitely curious about the secret entrance and hidden room that the ghost had found. Needless to say, Dom didn't know that Mauro was going to check out the church on his own that afternoon and honestly, Mauro had not known it himself until just a few minutes ago. All of a sudden he found himself standing once again at the entrance to the graveyard, parking his bike. It turned out that a lot more people than expected were there on Sunday, so the boy avoided getting close to Mrs. Hauser's grave to make it unlikely that he would run into any relatives or for that matter the old lady who had helped him the last time. Instead he headed directly to the church, looking for the secret entrance. The boy took a stroll around the church, but nothing stood out to him immediately. He remembered Dom saying that he found some carvings in the rocks, but what the carvings were, the boy didn't quite remember. I bet the entrance is in the back, hidden where nobody from the graveyard could see people enter, Mauro thought. So he limited his search to the spots where it seemed most likely that someone would build something like that. At first this seemed a lot more promising, but when he still couldn't make out anything, he decided to sit on a little hill right next to the giant wall which separated the property from the city street about six meters below him. He had spent more than two hours at the church already, looking at large stones and his enthusiasm was starting to diminish. All of a sudden, as the low evening sun descended to a position where light beams hit the stones from a flat angle and made the shadows become more pronounced and the unevenness of the stones to become more visible, Mauro was able to make out some faint carvings on the church walls. So he jumped at the opportunity that had just presented itself and decided to check out the area again. This time he was able to make out what some of the carvings were and then it hit him. Of course thorns. Dom had said that the carvings were elegantly carved thorns. Now he was sure that he had found the entrance. He looked at some pea-sized thorn carvings right in front of him and he got excited. But how do you open up the entrance? Mauro was pushing and hitting the stones, but nothing moved. He was looking for knobs and hinges to press, to pull, to push, but nothing was working. It was almost 8 pm and he needed to get home for dinner soon. So he decided that he would only keep looking until the bell struck 8 and then he would give up. The boy almost got angry for not figuring out how to open the entrance and had to remind himself that this was the reason why it was built in the first place. It was a secret entrance and not a public entrance. So a very loud ding dong from the church bell rang just a few meters above his head giving him the permission to finally give up. Disappointed he leaned on the stones listening to the bell strike 8 pm and with the 8th strike, the wall suddenly moved an inch. No way, it worked! Mauro exclaimed. He turned around and pushed as hard as he could. The boy managed to move four large stones of the wall about 40 centimeters in and a few centimeters to the left, 
revealing a small entrance. Quickly he picked up his backpack which was sitting next to him and squeezed himself inside. Man, there were certainly no fat thorns back then, he thought because it was a very tight squeeze even for his skinny self. Unfortunately he had not thought ahead this time and had not brought his flashlight with him. Only a couple of candles and lighter were, thank God, still left in the bag from when he had bought them. As soon as he got inside the pitch black room, he reached for his lighter and lit one candle. But then suddenly his heart dropped. The stone started moving back and this was not part of the plan at all. With the eerie sound of heavy stones grinding their way back into place, Mauro was petrified and in a desperate move tried to squeeze himself out again almost losing an arm as the stones closed shut. Now he was trapped and his new word for the thorn's nest had become tomb. Panic quickly built up inside of him and he became overwhelmed. He started pounding the stones a couple of times with his palms and the size of his fists. He even yelled for help but was at the same time pretty sure that nobody could hear him since the entrance was located in a very secluded area where most people didn't walk by. Things however didn't get better. With the very first step he took further inside the tomb he saw the horrible iron skeleton with the bizarre cages for eyeballs which had also scared Dom to death. He started cursing in terror and took a step back. The cursing however helped him because it changed the feeling of panic into a feeling of anger. So he kept cursing and yelling and slowly began to collect himself again and was able to start thinking more clearly. He then proceeded to go further into what one could call his worst nightmare and Mauro quickly realized that the room was quite small, which in a way he liked. At least there were no other surprises waiting for him in the dark. The big leather bags with the ghost eyeballs were the next thing that caught his attention. He was inclined to open them and peek inside, but in the end he didn't. He had heard Dom talk so much about curses and getting entangled by just moving or touching things, so he decided it best not to touch anything, unless he was 100% sure it was fine. He spent the first few minutes walking around hesitantly without a plan or a goal, then suddenly he thought, wait, where's the book? This thought came to him after his initial fear had subsided and he realized that nothing dangerous would happen right now. He tried to gain a more objective perspective and told himself that he was just trapped in a century-old room. Nothing more, nothing less. So why not use the time and start taking a closer look at the stone shelves, which had also already caught his attention. He was fascinated by all the objects lying there, most of them being hundreds of years old. An explorer instinct seemed to kick in and with the candle in hand, he went from object to object. The most bizarre and random things anyone can think of were lying there. A pair of rotten shoes next to very expensive jewelry and so on. But no book. Then he looked up higher and saw that the shelves kept going up and up. How far he could not say because the candlelight was too dim. Okay, concentrate, he told himself after a good hour. I have to get out of here, he kept repeating to himself. His parents had certainly returned and were waiting for him to come home any minute and he really had to hurry now. So he thought about what had happened, going over everything one more time. He had stood there opening the entrance precisely at 8 pm. This meant getting in or out is probably time related. Because before 8 pm he had pushed against the wall multiple times and only when it struck 8 pm it worked. So maybe if it strikes 9 pm it will work again. The problem the boy now had however was that he had nothing to grab onto to pull the stones inside. 
The wall Mauro used to enter could easily be pushed in from the outside, but it was hard if not impossible to pull it in. So even if the entrance got unlocked at 9pm, he would still not be able to move the wall. When the bell rang 9pm, Mauro decided to test his theory and he was right. The wall couldn't be moved at all. He tried to wedge his fingers into the nooks and crannies of the stones, but it was just impossible to pull. This really deflated him and the boy had to face the fact that he was not getting out of there anytime soon. So, as a last resort, he opened his backpack, pulled out the moon dial and waited until ghost hour, hoping Dom would come and could help him. As Dom found himself wandering around in the graveyard at ghost hour, he was puzzled and asked himself, why aren't I at the lake? And his second thought was, what did the kid do? It didn't take long for the ghost to figure out that Mauro was indeed trapped inside the thorn's nest. As Dom floated inside the tomb, he was greeted happily by the boy saying, Hi Dom, look, I found the entrance. This made the ghost really mad, really, really mad. This is dangerous boy, you're reckless. And so Mauro sat there being scolded by the ghost for a few minutes. Of course, the boy knew it was serious and that they had to get out immediately. So they quickly went over what had happened and how to possibly escape from the situation. Luckily, Dom had a lot of experience with secret rooms and moving walls, so he immediately tried to find out how the mechanism of the entrance worked. He assured the boy that indeed he had been right. The entrance got unlocked exactly at 8pm, but Dom explained further that the next unlocking had most likely happened at 12am. And now, because it was ghost hour already, the next unlocking would happen at 4am. They would often use 4 hour intervals for secret entrances to make it more difficult to enter, the ghost said. So we have to wait until 4am? Mauro asked, disappointed. No boy. On the inside there should be another mechanism to open it right away. It was just time coded to get in to make it harder for people to find. It is certainly tied in a way to the church bell or a clock. Great, the boy exclaimed and was relieved, but then it hit him. What about the book? You wanted the book, right? Dom looked up the shelves, contemplating whether to get it. Right, the book. After a quick pause, he said, You're right, let's get it. Then he floated up to the top right shelf. It is up here. Can you climb this high? Mauro nodded. The boy was confident and assured the ghost that this was no problem for him and started climbing with the last remaining stump of the candle in his hand. The boy squeezed the candle in between his thumb and a part of his palm so he could still grab the shelves with his fingers. The way up was no problem for him. However, as he grabbed the book and tossed it down the shelves without much care, the candle which he was holding in the same hand as the shelf slipped between his fingers and fell down. Now Mauro was hanging four and a half meters up in the air, unable to see anything. Be careful, boy! Dom yelled as the room became pitch black. Only the two glowing eyes from the ghost were radiating the slightest amount of light, making him barely visible to the boy, but this was not nearly enough light for Mauro to see anything. As he tried to climb down in the unforgiving darkness, he somehow missed a shelf or slipped or both and fell hitting the ground hard, knocking himself out. Mauro, wake up. Mauro, wake up. Dom's hollow voice resounded in Mauro's ears like an echo. The ghost had tried to get the boy to regain consciousness for almost an hour after the fall. And in the meantime, as the boy was out, 
Dom had done what he could to find out how to open the entrance again. For Mauro, however, it was a major struggle to regain consciousness. His hands twitched every now and then and sometimes an arm moved slowly over the floor, reaching for his head or chest, but the rest of the body remained still. Every time Dom noticed an arm moving, he repeated, Mauro, wake up. He looked at the boy with the little light his eyes provided and he could already see that Mauro was banged up pretty badly. Finally, the boy started coughing and this made him regain consciousness. As Mauro sat up, Dom floated to the lighter and then to the candle. Mauro, here is the candle. I'll show you the way. Can you see me? Dom tried to guide the boy. Mauro started crawling in Dom's direction and became aware that he was still in the tomb and the nightmare was not yet over. As Mauro's faculties slowly returned, Dom tried to boost the boy's mood by sharing some good news. Listen, I found the mechanism to open it. I just followed the iron hinges inside the stone wall and they led to the skeleton. In the back there is a metal rod. It looks like a rib. Push it down. Mauro managed to light up the candle and stumbled towards it. As the boy looked at the skeleton closely with the candle shining on the ribcage, it made it look even more grotesque. This image seemed to trigger an unconscious reflex and all of a sudden the boy started to feel a primal survival instinct kick in. It was a profound fear coming from deep within, generating energy, making him move faster and even sharpening his senses. He suddenly felt claustrophobic and an undeniable urge to get out of this place at all costs. Then with all his strength he managed to pull down on the rod and the wall opened revealing the grass. What felt like an eternity inside the thorn's nest had now ended and he had made it out of the tomb with the book, which he quickly tossed inside his backpack. He then rode home shakily on his bike only to be greeted by his worried parents who couldn't even be mad at him after seeing their son in such a bad shape. Chapter 8 The following three days Mauro couldn't think straight. His head hurt really badly and he was just lying in bed feeling dizzy and throwing up. Nowadays he would have been diagnosed with a concussion, but back then in the 60s people would just say, walk it off son. Nevertheless, for the next few weeks his parents lectured him during the day about safety and Dom did the same at night. Mauro had told his parents that he fell off a rock while climbing up a big boulder to look for a campsite. For most kids like Mauro who grew up on the outskirts of the Black Forest, it was normal to go on hikes and his excuse for why he got home so late was because he was quite injured, felt dizzy and wasn't able to ride his bike. His explanation was quite plausible because he had indeed had his backpack with him just like a hiker and it was not the first time that he was out exploring the forest. So his parents ate it up. As for Dom, the ghost was about to say goodbye for good. He didn't want any part of this and it was clear that the kid had to get rid of the moondal. He didn't want to see the boy die because of him. The responsibility was too much and this came out a few nights later. You could have died, Mauro. Dom sat still angry. Not just because you fell down, but you got trapped. Do you understand that? If you hadn't had the moondal with you, I wouldn't have found you. Most likely nobody would have. You can't scream yourself out of a thorn's nest. He turned away and added, Stupid kid. Then he continued. Also, the thorns are not something to joke about. In the Middle Ages, they were feared. They took people away, not just ghosts. They interrogated them for seeing and talking about ghosts. Some even got tortured. 
Nobody would even go close to a thorn, not even kings. They are evil, Mauro, pure evil. Dom was now really going on a rant, which the boy tried to stop by asking some more detailed and neutral questions that didn't involve him. So what do they do? You said they were dealing with ghosts, right? The plan worked and Dom calmed down by thinking about how he could explain it properly to the boy. Well, yes, they were in charge of the ghost problem, beginning in the Middle Ages as towns began to grow and the social structures grew denser. More and more ghosts began showing up and people started noticing them. The bigger the towns got, the more ghosts there were. More people became aware that there was something else wandering around them. And that became a big problem. Just take the Christian belief. If you die, you go to heaven or hell. If you're a good Catholic and you do what the church says, you go to heaven. If not, you're doomed and you go to hell. Well then, what about ghosts? People of course noticed that sometimes their deceased relatives came to visit. And this was hard for the church to explain. When the population started asking questions and started doubting that the church's narrative was indeed true, the church introduced a new secret division to deal with the ghost problem by studying it and then by cleaning it up. Needless to say, they also took care of people who were too vocal about ghosts. The Thorns were indeed the first true ghost hunters in Europe. Soon they figured out that leather was a powerful material making it possible to touch the ghost's eyes and rip them out. Just by wearing leather gloves, they could catch the ghosts and put their eyes into leather bags. This way they could make them disappear and then nobody would be able to question the church. So they started to catch them, one by one. They even interrogated ghosts. Do you remember the cast iron skeleton? Dom asked the boy with his beaming eyes as he continued to tell the story. Of course, the boy nodded. They used the skeleton to interrogate ghosts. Do you notice the iron cages in place of the eyes? They would put the ghost's eyeballs in there. Iron, the thorns found out, was another important material. Ghosts can't float through it with their eyes and the thorns were the first to find that out too. They figured out that a small enough pure iron cage kept the eyes in place so the ghost could be visible to them but still be captured. Maru gasped. This was blowing his mind but the story was far from over yet and Dom explained further. Did you see the leather bags? There are hundreds of ghosts in there. The thorns hunted each and every one of them and made them disappear. Just for one reason so the people wouldn't question the story of heaven and hell, and with it the church's authority. Then Mauro hesitatingly interrupted them. And the objects on the shelves? Were they all ghost objects? The boy asked, putting two and two together, and Dom nodded. Yes, boy. The thorns knew what they were doing. Then Mauro asked something naive again, like your typical 16-year-old, as though nothing had happened a few days ago, just as if it was another day at the office. Okay, and how are we going to release them? Dom laughed out really loud, and for a moment, Mauro was worried his parents had heard him. <laughs> what? What do you mean, how are we going to release them? Mauro, you almost died. Dom turned away from the boy, shaking his head in disbelief about what he had just said, 
and floated to the window lowering his voice. I'm an old ghost, Mauro, and I have never been able to release more than a couple of ghosts at a time. And I have worked with some skillful Silmarons in the past, but we never managed to release a whole thorn's nest. That's unheard of. Then Dom thought hard about what he was going to say next. So the boy presented another perspective of a naive 16-year-old. Yes, but there are no thorns anymore. So we could just release them, right? Dom shook his head again and answered, No. No, we could not, boy. I hate to say it, but I need you to get rid of the Moondial after we release Mrs. Hauser. Full moon, full moon, when is the next full moon? Dom and Mauro were at odds with each other again, but they still had Mrs. Hauser to release. Dom was, however, reluctant to plan another mission with the boy right away. He wanted Mauro to rest and to stop the momentum the boy had gathered from being a ghost hunter dead in its tracks. Mauro, on the other hand, was already convinced that he was a ghost hunter and was not keen of getting rid of the Moondal at all, which was a big problem. As the ghost had shunned the kid for a few more weeks, Mauro had had enough. He felt treated like a kid and that was not a good thing to do to a boy of his age. So he got out the moondial at ghost hour, started it up and tried to figure things out by himself. Like the last time he put the piece of wood from the swing right next to it and waited, hoping that the moondial would lock onto the wood. Unfortunately it didn't though. Mauro suddenly remembered that Dom had given some kind of order to it but what he didn't recall. The boy only vaguely remembered the sound of the words and so he tried to imitate them as best as possible. Of course that didn't work. The Moondial didn't respond to any of the boys' orders. Then while looking at it he said out loud to himself while contemplating what to do next. What did Dom say to you last time? What words did he use? And to the boy's huge surprise the Moondial responded and the two words began to float up. Luna Oriri. Right, the boy remembered now, that was the order Dom had given. More surprisingly though was that the Moondal had listened to him and even responded. So Mauro continued and said, Luna Oriri as well. The Moondal immediately locked onto the wood, a star map appeared like the last time and the timestamp started forming right over the dials. Unbelievable, he was ecstatic. The Moondal understood him. Not just that, he could ask a question and it would answer. This opened up a completely different way of how he could use it. Mauro still had a hard time figuring out the timestamp, however, because it was also written in Latin, containing many X, Y and M's numbers. Needless to say, the next day he went to the library and got himself a book to study Latin. For the remaining hours of the night, Mauro asked the Moonlight questions, most of which it didn't understand or couldn't answer, but sometimes, if it did understand, it replied with words or signs and so the boy was hooked again, more than ever. Out of all people, Mauro's grandmother was the one who was able to confirm what he had learned from the Moondal. Mauro had studied Latin for a few days and in particular how to read and write dates in Latin. When he visited his grandmother, as chance had it, he found a calendar on her kitchen wall while looking around. It was not just an ordinary calendar, however, but also one with all the moon faces printed on it. He was actually baffled that this was quite a popular thing and she explained to the boy that this was normal in the astrological community. 
Also, the older generations had them as well for other superstitions reasons. So he looked up the next full moon on her calendar and indeed, it turned out that he had in fact translated the date correctly, as it fell on the same day that the moondial had given him in Latin. The night with the full moon came and Dom had still not shown up again. It must have been more than two months now and this made Mauro angry. The ghost was treating him like a child, but not a 16-year-old child, more like a 6-year-old child. After all, in only 14 months he would be an adult. And even though Mauro had not said it, he was indeed fully aware of the things he had done wrong. He had been reckless and the fall that night made him look at things differently. He could get hurt and bad things could happen. The boy knew that he had to be more careful but also thought that it was good as it in a way had made him grow up and he thought that Dom was missing that point completely. In the end he was the one helping Dom he was the one letting him float in and out of his room for well over a year to study the Mundal. He was taking risks getting caught by his parents and all of this Dom just failed to recognize. So tonight the boy would take a stand and talk to the ghost. Right before ghost hour Mauro went to the lake in a confronting mood. Something was in the air that night and he could feel the tension. The lake stretched out before him and the fort stood to his left. After he had parked his bicycle next to it, Mauro went to the shore. He put down his backpack and sat right next to the water. Then he took out the moondial and waited for ghost hour to start. The leather bag with Mrs. Hauser's eyeball sat next to him, as well as the wood from the swing. Mauro was ready to start the process of releasing her, but now he had just to wait for Dom. The boy was convinced that if Dom saw where he was and that he had prepared all of this, Dom would eventually show up, but this didn't happen. So as Mauro waited and waited and ghost hour went on with Dom refusing to float out of the forest to meet him, the boy got bored. He often turned around trying to catch a glimpse of Dom's glowing eyes winding between the trees, but the ghost stood his ground not making himself visible. Eventually Mauro reached into his backpack and pulled out what he had almost forgotten. The book he had stolen from the thorn's nest. During the past days he had of course taken a look at it a couple of times, examining it carefully but all he could see was some handwriting in ink and blank pages throughout the rest of the book. So it didn't seem very impressive to him. Interestingly though, he had only looked at the book during the daytime and now at night as the boy started reading it during ghost hour things changed. The boy noticed that the first page was still the same and that he could see the author's name, Konrad Haberer written at the start of the story. The author went on to describe how a ghost started visiting him at night and the ghost promised Konrad Haberer to tell him a tale which he could print and would make him a world-famous writer. The ghost promised Konrad the most incredible story, a story which nobody had ever heard of. A story about the ghost world. If... But then it stopped. The handwriting ended with the promise and Haberer never finished the book. Or at least that's what Mauro thought. This time though, as Mauro turned the first page, ghost letters appeared, continuing the story with the words He tricked me, hell shall fall on him, he tricked me. Then it continued inside the ghost world, describing Habara wandering around stone figures as tall as buildings, throwing their arms and tongues up to the heavens. Ghosts were moving in what seemed like bread lines dissolving into nothingness, and far in the distance was a forest with much larger trees than ours, darker than darkness and with only one path leading into it, 
the path which he had to take. This description reminded Mauro of the ghost scene he had watched at the end of the calibration with Dom. Mauro remembered the stone statues and the long lines of wandering ghosts. So it was clear to him that Harbera was indeed writing about the ghost world. Now the boy was eager to find out more about this mysterious world and continued reading. Suddenly a stern voice appeared out of nowhere, saying, Put away the book, boy. That's not yours to read. Dom was suddenly floating right next to him, bending down and bobbing his head around like a snake ready to strike its prey. He stopped right in front of Mauro's face, with his glowing eyes floating just inches away from him. He was so close to the boy that the boy was able to breathe in some of his white fog, which was being catapulted towards him by Dom's abrupt movement. Then the ghost repeated the words without hesitation. Put it away! Surprised by Dom, Mauro's half-Italian side took over. He raised his voice as well, just like he would sometimes do when talking to his fiery grandfather. No! Mauro replied with the same intensity as the ghost. Then he stood up and noticed Dom's arms and fingers forming a pose to strangle him. Dom shook his head and started ranting again. This is a dangerous book, boy. You know this thing is cursed and yet you still pick it up and read it even though I told you not to. The person who wrote it got entangled in the ghost world and now he's gone. To this day he's wandering around in the ghost world, not able to find a way out. This could happen to you too. If I could just take the Moondial and everything with me, I would and leave you alone, child. Dom blasted it out as loud as he could. The word child, however, triggered Mauro and he yelled back, I'm not a child, Dom, and you're treating me like I'm six years old. But still, I'm the one doing all the things you need. I caught Mrs. Hauser, not you, and without me, the Moondial wouldn't be calibrated. I even let you float in and out of my room at night, and there's not even a thank you from you. You're disrespectful just because I'm young. But at the same time, you can't do anything yourself. You can't catch a ghost or release one on your own. You can't do anything, not even catch a leaf falling down from a tree. Never before had somebody pointed out Dom's powerlessness so brutally honestly. Nobody had ever dared to talk to the ghost like that, confronting him with the truth, the undeniable helplessness of this self-proclaimed rescuer. And this hit Dom hard. He went silent and floated a few steps back. As he turned away from the boy, he took a couple of deep breaths and whispered in a delicate tone, I know. I know, Mauro. His deep voice echoed over to the boy before he continued, And I hate it. I hate everything about it. I hate being a ghost. It's a never-ending nightmare. You can't do anything other than run and hide. The sun has been out of my life for so long. Just the moon remains and I hate the moon. It is the thing that is locking me in. I hate it so much. Dom got emotional now, turning towards the lake, making the boy feel really sorry for him. Then, as Dom continued to flow towards the lake, Mauro recognized the same sadness, just like when he first met him. In this moment, Dom had described the sadness very well that all ghosts inherently have. It's related to the exhaustion of being alive, but with no energy left to fight anymore. It's about not even being able to grab a falling leaf. At the same time though, still seeking something which is only alive in memories and not a part of this world anymore. In a literal sense, they have died, but they just don't know it.
and so ghosts carry on. The water was still, there was no wind, no ripples forming on it, and the moon was mirroring itself in the lake. You could think there were two moons on earth, but really one was just an illusion. And so Dom and Mauro stood there, mirroring the two moons, looking out to the lake, having said what they had to say, and trying to move on. Come on, Dom, let's release her, Mauro eventually said, breaking the silence. The boy really tried to be compassionate and Dom felt that. Finally, the ghost looked at him, escaping the sadness again for a brief moment and nodded. There was nothing else to do for him and the reason why he was there in the first place. So the ghost agreed. You're right. Let's release her. Dom looked around and was pleased for a change with how Mauro had prepared everything. We need a lighter. Do you still have one in your bag? The ghost asked. Sure, Mauro answered and got it out. The moondial had already been running since the beginning of Ghost Hour and Dom spoke to it in a gentle tone. All the tension of that night was now gone. The inner storm of unsaid words had passed and now it was time to recenter again with the help of the moondial. Tea luna ad solem was Dom's order for the moondial. Let her wander from the moon to the sun. Immediately the wax started glowing intensely. Then Dom told the boy to dip one finger into the wax and like last time to then dip it into the water. So that's what Mauro did. The wax spread out like a slithering snake winding towards the center of the lake forming a circle about 30 meters in diameter. Soon the ghost fog started rising up and like last time the boy was ready to see a ghost scene appear. This time however just the heavy fog built up and stayed there not moving much. Then Dom told Mauro to take the piece of wood and light it up. As the wood caught fire Mauro was supposed to throw it towards the circle. I won't hit it, Mauro said, afraid that he would miss the circle and do something wrong. That's fine, just throw it in the direction. Then, like a shooting star making its way through the night, the burning wood landed right in front of the thick fog. Dom looked at the leather bag and this was the moment they had been waiting for. All the effort they had put in was now about to be rewarded. Now untie the bag, open it carefully and step back. Dom said. Nervously Mauro untied it and memories of the moment when the boy had grabbed her eyes came rushing into his mind, making his heart beat even faster. I hope she's not mad at me, the boy thought briefly but as he stepped back these thoughts disappeared as well. Mauro looked at the back and sure enough first one then two dimly glowing eyeballs started to float up and orient themselves immediately towards the piece of wood and the big circle of fog right in front of them. As soon as the eyes of Mrs. Hauser's reached their full glow, her body started forming. Again, Mauro was amazed by the magic the ghost world created. It really was her standing right in front of him, just peacefully looking at the lake. Then the ghost fork in the middle started moving. The moondial connected Mrs. Hauser and her ghost object, collecting her memories, tying them to the full moon and making her memories come back to life one more time on the lake in the most grandiose way. A scene began to form like the last time out of thick fog that was floating over the lake. It was the last scene Mrs. Hauser had thought of in the final seconds of her life. Immediately she recognized the piece of wood, her ghost object and began floating towards it. 
She wanted to inspect it more closely as the fire ate it up and with it all of her memories too. She turned towards the ghost scene where two large trees started forming with a swing hanging in between them, mimicking the garden in which she had grown up and in which she had spent much of her time swinging as a child. In fact, these had been the last memories she had when her spirit left her body. Then she floated into the memory, grabbing the swing and swinging like a child for the last time as the wood continued to burn away, releasing her tie to this world. Her glowing eyes became dimmer and dimmer, but the ghost scene stayed the same until no glow was to be seen anymore and she finally made her transition. The empty scene stood there a while longer, just like the two moons did, as well as Dom and Mauro. To be continued.